You've tuned in to the Roundtable Podcast, episode 51. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Brian Humphrey. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to the Roundtable Podcast. Each and every week on the Roundtable Podcast, Brian and I invite writers to come onto the show and pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. That's right. And then we dig into it, talking about what works and what doesn't, and expand and contract its meteor segments like external intercostals, expanding and contracting oh, a literary rib cage to let the golden literary breath fill its lungs with awe. Or what we like to call literary gold. gold. Holy crap! I think we were we were like in sync. I that's about as close as I think we're ever going to get. That's freaking brilliant! And and thank you for for invoking my my external metatarsals. So. God, no, we they're were, called Dave. Whatever they're called. It's, it's, <laughs> Brian and I were talking before we started recording about how every time I take a deep breath, it feels like somebody's stabbing me in the ribs with a with a knife. And Brian said, it's your, what did you call them? External intercostals. Yeah, the inter- intercostals. <laughs> thank you. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. So my, my intercostals have been fucking with me. And uh, and now they're a part of the podcast. So so everything is grist for the mill here at the round table. That's right. So, well, uh, uh, <laughs> let's just turn brightly to our, our guest host, shall we? Absolutely. Holy crap. The internet is so screwing with us. Uh, dear friends, uh, uh, it is our singular and distinct pleasure to welcome back to the big chair at the round table uh, uh, the author of the Xeno Wealth trilogy, uh, the, the, the story collection and edifying collection, uh, Nascence, and so many other awesome short stories and novels that grace the bookshelves around the world. Please welcome, ladies and gents, Tobias Bakel. Tobias, we are so grateful that you came back and that you're willing to workshop a story with us today, man. That's just awesome. Thank you. No problem. Uh, now, Tobias, uh, we talked during the 20 minutes with about uh, the lifestyle that you're evolving and, and the love that you're infusing uh, uh, with with the words that you're crafting and the tales that are coming from you. So I was wondering if you'd be willing to regale uh, uh, our, our listeners with some of the fruits of that lifestyle choice. And what's coming out from Tobias Bakel? What are you doing? Where are you going to be? What's going on? You know, I'm not doing too much travel this year because I'm working really hard on getting as much written as I can. But if you're interested in seeing some of the latest work, if you are a fan of the Xenowell series, if you liked Crystal Rain, Ragamuffin, and Sly Mongoose, then the fourth book in the series has just come out. I kickstarted it and sold copies directly to fans, and now it's available for everyone else via all your regular ebook outlets. It's called The Apocalypse Ocean. So that continues the series from the original three. And my latest book from Tor just came out in paperback. Arctic Rising is available in all stores all over the place. So those uh, those are the pieces I'm pushing the hardest these days. Outstanding. Now, Arctic or Arctic. I was going to say Arctic Ocean. I'm blending your genre <laughs> even as we speak. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Apocalypse Apocalypse Ocean uh, is the next in the Xenowealth series. Um, is there an end in sight, or is this just a, a story that seems to to stretch out for you? I've got five books planned. Oh, it's okay. always been ever since the third book. I had five books planned, and I'm looking forward to at some point. 
in the near future, you know, maybe doing another Kickstarter and finishing up number five. Outstanding. Outstanding. So, so no conventions, no cons for you? You're, you're laying low? I'm laying low for a while. Uh, right now I'm still just uh, rebuilding, you know, my uh, savings and keeping my head down and working really hard at writing. So I'm not doing a ton of travel this year. Usually when I do do it, it tends to be last minute because I've, you know, gotten some savings or a little extra money that I can afford and I will sneak off and go to something. But uh, I've not been doing a lot of formal appearances unless people are paying to fly me out or be a guest of honor or anything like that. Just being a busy beaver and writing as much as I possibly can for <laughs> For quite a while. To the delight of your fans and yes. uh, connoisseurs of fine fiction everywhere. Well, <laughs> and, and, and friends, that you know, what Tobias just said doesn't mean he's not going to be at cons. It no. means that he's he, he won't be a guest. So you can have you can look forward to perhaps a surprise guest appearance by <laughs> Tobias Bacal at some point. So so by all means continue searching the cons for his his, his smiling face. Sure. If you follow me on Twitter or on my blog, I usually will announce if I'm suddenly showing up at one because I know that uh, some people do definitely do like to get their books signed. So I don't mind signing the books if I, if you spot me and if you've seen on my blog or Twitter that I'm going to be attending. Outstanding. And and cool. what's the what's the URL for the blog? Uh, www.tobiasbuckel.com. Yeah, see, <laughs> Tobias, that's awesome. Thank you. We will make sure all of that gets into the liner notes. Uh, gang, please do take advantage of those links uh, uh, because there is literary gold on the other side of them. Uh, but for now, gents, what I'd like to do is I'd like to pause, catch our breath, uh, uh, find our center uh, while a, a promo for another ebook or podcast or Kickstarter project or charity uh, uh, makes its way across the potosphere. And then when we come back, I'd like to workshop a story. What do you say? Excellent idea. I Let's like, do it. I'm down with it too. All right, guys, yes. you don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I crouched low in the dim light, my gaze sweeping across the ruined grandeur of the lost temple of Abu Harabi. Before me on a stone altar, still black with blood spilled from a thousand human sacrifices, lay the Tablet of Infinite Delights. I lifted it carefully and placed it in my satchel, and it was then I heard the slithering scrape of a hundred serpents. I turned, drawing my pistol and gaped at the horror that had risen before me. A black, tentacled beast from my darkest nightmare. It rose higher and higher, and I feared for my very soul. But the thing's bulk crashed into the ceiling, collapsing it and allowing me to scrabble away with my life, my sanity, and my prize. Later I examined it, translating the ancient script. For adventure of a bygone era, the tablet read, tune in to Protecting Project Pulp, a weekly podcast of classic pulp tales guaranteed to get your pulse pounding. You can tune in to the thrills of Protecting Project Pulp starting Tuesday, July 17th. Visit their website at www.protectingprojectpulp.com for more information. Protecting Project Pulp. When adventure truly begins. 
Lords and ladies, welcome back to the Roundtable Podcast and the workshop proper, where we bring to the table a young squire hoping to become a knight all the way from Korea. That's right. That's right. It's amazing. And you know, this show does not happen without these these courageous and awesome writers that come forward to offer up a tale for discussion. Now, Brian, rather than introduce him, yes, uh, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to paint a picture for you oh, of boy. our guest writer, okay? Picture... But uh, we can't listen to pictures. Just picture <laughs> it. And don't be difficult. Humphrey. Holy <laughs> crap. This is theater of the mind, man. This is where we live. So, yes, of course. I want you to picture a busy market in Southeast Asia. Loud, boisterous. Cars and bikes and animals and people and lights and bok choy and all of that. Now, imagine... All the noise fades and the motion slows and you see a guy seated on the roof of a building, legs dangling over the gutter, looking over the scene like a hungry man at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Now, beside him is a disheveled stack of papers and parchment overflowing with words. And on top of the stack is a copy of Chuck Wendig's Confessions of a Freelance Pen Monkey. Uh, He wears an I Heart Canada t-shirt. A camera is slung over his shoulder, and his face is lit by an open laptop that's playing a tune by Duke Ellington and Johnny Hodges. Uh, And on the street below, a woman holding a handsome boy child looks up at him adoringly. How's that for a picture, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Dear friends, please welcome all the way from Gimhae, Korea, our our most long-distance guest writer ever, Mr. Jeff Exelon. Jeff, dude, I know it's never easy to put your baby up for discussion, and we are so appreciative. Thank you, man. Thanks for the... I'm looking forward to the workshop. And thanks for that picture of. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're very welcome, sir. Very, and, and you know that's the first time I've done that, so I'll I'll, I'll sign that for you, and you can you can you can hold on to that one. I'm going to be someone to make that. <laughs> yeah, really. So we need an artist to actually paint that picture because that's a beautiful shot. Um, Jeff, I noticed uh, on your blog, uh, and dear friends, for those checking, that's at jeffexelon.com, uh, uh, that you have a work in progress that looks really cool. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Empire and Animal? Uh, yeah, so this, is, uh, this, this began life as a short story, but it uh, ended up uh, being picked up by a, a new sort of endeavor out there called Juke Pop Serials where they're all about serialized fiction, uh, kind of like uh, where Patio Books does it with audio, this is, done, this is doing it uh, you know, written form. Excellent. Uh, and so I decided, I thought it was probably being a little crazy, but I sent my uh, story out there, the first one, to it, and they liked it, they picked it up. So now it went from being a short story to the first chapter of a serial. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah, it's probably a little bit crazy uh, for because basically I'm now writing like my first novel out in public, uh, <laughs> which is probably foolish. But on the other hand, and you got to take the opportunities when they're there. That's right. That's right. And as we as we learned, go where the fear is. If you fear something, lean into that bad boy like a stiff wind. <laughs> That's awesome. I think I definitely jumped on that with this. Uh, well, actually, Jeff, as awesome as that sounds, that's not the story you came to workshop, is it? No. Well, let's let's jete on to that awesomeness uh, uh, and get down to some workshop and goodness. Now, Jeff, we're going to give you uh, five to eight minutes. Give us the the title, the genre, the format, if it's going to be a short story or a novel or whatever. 
uh, uh, introduces to any themes or a hook line if you've got one. Uh, the world, if it's a strange place. Uh, the characters, and then give us some some quick plot signposts that we can hang our hats on, uh, and we'll be able to workshop this bad boy. So, Jeff, I'm turning the mic over to you, my friend. It's all yours. Okay. So this currently untitled novel is going to fit in the superhero genre, uh, though in the part of the genre that has the stories like Watchmen, uh, Rising Stars, uh, the more recent Irredeemable and Incorruptible series. Uh, here's the hook. With a power-hungry politician trying to recreate superheroes as his own personal weapons, the ex-hero who destroyed them all in the first place must team up with the only one he failed to kill to stop him. Moving on to theme. Actually, I'm having trouble describing the theme I want to explore in a straightforward way. Uh, the best I can say right now is that I want to look at the meeting point of the well-known comics idea, uh, famously expressed in Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, and that other famous saying, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. Uh, the setting, uh, the world is going to be, it's a modern-day Earth, the one that had, until recently, a small number of superheroes and supervillains. These superpowered people emerged after an event, uh, which I have not settled upon yet, that affected them all. Most of the heroes ended up in a team together that operated under official sanction from the authorities. A few years ago, somebody who we know to be Isaac started killing off all the superheroes and supervillains. Right now, most people believe that the era of the superhero is over, but a power-hungry man named Senator Fitch, in combination with a black ops conspiracy, is trying to create his own secret superagents. Characters. Uh, the protagonist of the story is Isaac. He is thought to be the smartest man alive, and his superpowers come from his uh, technological creations and how he interfaces with technology. His biggest weakness is that if he can't see a flaw in his thinking, then he assumes that there isn't one. Uh, he sort of buys into his own hype there. His external goal is the story, in this story is to rid the world of what he considers the accident of superpowered people, who he calls evolutionary cancer. Uh, this includes himself. Internally, his issue is that he is terrified of the responsibility that comes with the power he has and doesn't want it. His own fear of his power helped to reinforce his belief that anyone having superpowers was bad for everyone. Working with Isaac, despite the fact that she now hates and fears him, is Jenny, uh, a.k.a. the comic, the last remaining superhero. She is a physically powerful hero, but she is suffering from confidence issues. Along with her whole world being turned upside down and shattered by Isaac's actions, she now finds herself thrust into a position she's uncomfortable with. As a member of the superhero team, she was happy to let Adam, who, along with being considered the greatest of the heroes, was her boyfriend and Isaac's brother, uh, he led the team and provided the moral compass to the hero's actions. Now she has to take the mantle of hero on all by herself. Uh, externally, her goal is to stop the senator's power-hungry schemes and see Isaac brought to justice. Internally, she feels unqualified to say what is right and wrong, and is unsure how to handle the fact that both Isaac and Fitch are doing what they think is in the best interest of humanity. Uh, the primary antagonist is Senator Fitch. He saw early on the potential for using superheroes as a tool for gaining a level of personal power generally thought impossible to get in a Western democracy. His goal is to achieve a level of power equivalent to a dictator. The advent of superpowered people, coupled with the march of science and technology to ever greater heights, 
convince the senator that strong leadership with real power behind it is necessary to stop society from falling apart. Internally, he is terrified of the possibilities inherent in individuals becoming ever more powerful. He is convinced that eventually a superpowered individual or someone backed by them will take over everything, and he is determined to get there first. Uh, there will also be an as yet unnamed leader of an underground movement that sees the danger in Senator Fitch and have organized to oppose him. This person, like Senator Fitch, will not have superpowers. Their goal will be to reassert uh, democratic ideals of freedom. Uh, they and their movement will serve to challenge and potentially confirm Isaac's beliefs and fears. So the story of the outline here. Uh, the story will begin with Isaac and Jenny waking up in a strange laboratory where it's obvious they've been unwilling participants in experiments and studies. Their last memories are of a confrontation where Jenny tried to bring Isaac to justice and he tried to kill them both with a large explosion. Uh, Jenny's actions saved them both from death, but only just. In Act 1, they'll have to work together to figure out what's happened to them and the rest of the world since the explosion and who's behind it all. Uh, this will not be particularly easy, as the story's being told that, to the world that they died in an accident when a bomb they were working on went off prematurely. The populace has been told since that authorities are now sure it was Isaac and Jenny working together who destroyed the other superheroes and villains so they could use their power to take over the country and the world unopposed. They will also discover that Senator Fitch has become very powerful and influential. They will be pursued by superpowered black ops who are trying to silence them before they can throw a monkey wrench into the senator and his allies' plans. In Act 2, the heroes will find friends and face major setbacks. After a particularly close call, fighting off the conspiracy's forces, they will be aided by an underground movement who sees where the country is going and are unwilling to have their freedoms exterminated. They do not believe Isaac and Jenny were the superhero killers and hope to work with them to stop who they suspect is the real culprit, Senator Fitch. First, when the truth about Isaac comes out, the movement will schism and fall into disarray. Second, despite their best efforts, the heroes will fail to stop the senator's plan to become the president of the United States by having the president, vice president, and speaker of the House all killed in an apparent act of superpowered terrorism. Uh, in Act 3, the heroes will struggle to deal with the senator, now president's growing power. He will have laws passed, giving himself unprecedented authority to deal with what most people now believe to be superpower enemies bent on overthrowing the government. Eventually, Isaac will come to believe that his original plan was both wrong and now impossible, seeing that super beings are here to stay, but believing more than ever that a small group of super beings will drag down the whole of humanity, he sacrifices himself to level the playing field by creating a new super being generating event that will unlock the superpower potential of humanity at large, uh, leaving Jenny behind to uh, become their guide. Wow. All right. <laughs> that was awesome, Jeff. Great yep. pitch. Yep. Great pitch. All right. What are you hoping to get out of this next 45 minutes or so of discussion? Okay. Well, I'm pretty open to pretty much riffing and what ifs and going anywhere with this because nothing is written as yet beyond. It's just the ideas. Um, if anyone, it's backstory, not story, but if anyone wants to give any ideas, I'm a little stuck. I need the inciting event that created superpowered people. I need that to be a unique situation. Otherwise, the, all of Isaac's beliefs and the whole story sort of falls apart. There has to be a reason to believe that this was a not something that was always going to happen. There were not always going to be superpowered people. It's not necessarily, you know, an endpoint of human evolution. Okay. Uh, also, um, characters, I mean, I'm, 
We're going a little bit dark here with the protagonist basically being a, a mass murderer of the superpowered community. Which is uh, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It, it, I, I've got no problem with that. Changers <laughs> or pitfalls in that or anywhere else in the story that maybe I'm not seeing. Okay. I'd love to hear people's thoughts on that. And otherwise, yeah, it's a free game. Excellent, excellent, oh, and a delicious playing field we have laid before us. Uh, uh, but before we dive into that, Brian, would you be so kind as to cover our ass, please? I, I would be happy to. So, Jeff, in the process of us going through and tearing apart your your beautiful story, um, <laughs> we're going to offer up a whole bunch of different things, and you are under no obligation to take anything that we have to say and uh, just assume that there's going to be some really good stuff that you might be able to pull the essence from. Otherwise, treat the rest of it as complete and total bullshit. Absolutely, because this is your story, man. We're just giving you some new perspectives. You cool with that? Very much so. Awesome. All right. It is our custom to take a, a quick turn around the table and get everybody's first impressions and ask a couple of questions of clarification. Uh, so, Tobias, we'll lead off with you, sir. Uh, what are your first impressions of Jeff's story idea? And do you have any questions that might clarify some things that aren't clear to you? Um, I was curious as to sort of if this is the is this set current day, uh, like what sort of technology levels, you know, uh, when, uh, in superhero fiction there can often tend to be a science fiction science fictional level of technology ability so when you're looking for your inciting event what kind of uh i don't know high levels of technology are available to you uh i was seeing it as being fairly uh modern day uh, uh sort of what we would expect right now up until the point of superheroes Obviously, when they exist, especially with a person like Isaac, then technology could be propelled forward by them. Okay. I was originally looking at it. Now, it could also be, you know, uh, near future with some technology to be the excuse for their creation. Okay. I, I'm just trying to get a... You're, the biggest thing yeah. that you want is an inciting event that causes all of these people to gain superpowers, and that seems to be the thing that you initially definitely want from us, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure yeah. eventually something... This <laughs> answer that question eventually but uh, sure anyone's got an idea i'd love to hear it but my main problem is that every time i come up with an idea i'm like oh wait that's exactly what that comic book did <laughs> sure sure yeah. um this is one area where i i actually am i'm, I'm a little bit weaker than everyone else because i grew up uh without comic books in the caribbean we didn't really get the distribution that all the way down there so um i've only really explored comic books over the last five years when i've i've you got out of college and finally had a little bit of money so i actually uh, count that as a strength tobias that that actually yes. is going to bring in a whole new perspective on this that's awesome um has uh, have has anyone done uh, runaway nanotechnology i don't think um, so i mean not far future sure but uh not near future yeah and i don't think i've ever seen it done as sort of a a, a, a sort of a, a somewhat wide causing uh, effect on multiple people. Yeah, uh, biological uh, virus, weapon, uh, nanotechnology, something along those lines is something that I think's fairly not been done and unique, and uh, would tie into uh, could tie into some resonances with Isaac and his uh, super intelligence and uh, plans to become a mass murderer. Yeah, yeah. Well, the possibility yeah, yeah. with that that. If something like that was the initial inciting cause, then the sort of the shadowy, uh, you know, intelligence agency backers of Senator Fitz could have actually been the original creators of this sort of situation. Yeah, yeah, sure. 
you know, uh, the the first the other thing that jumped out about uh, is that he's worrying about theme and trying to nail it down before uh, you start writing. And uh, you know, I I really I I don't know how much you know of that you can decide to do ahead of time. I think a lot of that comes as you write it. So I would say don't don't worry too much about that. And the the first thing that occurs to me as a writer and as someone who would who'd be workshopping a piece is I immediately want to know the ins and outs of exactly how superpowers work or if you're just going to just hand wave it away or just be like, don't ask. Um, uh, you know, curious to see where your mind is going because the more details of that, the more I can bounce off of you. Uh, the, the other things, of course, is like I, I really want to be curious as to see if you have some idea of why – why getting involved matters to both Isaac and Jenny. I think those were the two names uh, on a personal level. Like, what is the, the serious? You know, you talked about the inciting incident of what gives them superpowers. But I think to make this work, this is going to be something that uh, relies on really getting into these characters' heads. And I'm really curious as to what it is, or I think you're going to have to nail down what it is for Isaac that makes him want to or makes him believe what he believes which is that no one should have superpowers and maybe i i I just didn't catch it as you were talking because we did have some some lag here and also what is it that what is it that gives him humanity to decide to sacrifice himself Um, no those are those are good points now jeff do you have any uh, uh, thoughts along those lines, or is that something you're hoping that we can dig into with some what ifs and some character yeah, for exploration? The first part of it, I do have. Um, I mean, originally, uh, the very original sort of part of this it was, it was a short story that was sort of the end of another story where it sort of Isaac reveals he'd killed all these people and uh, you know did this. The, so there's sort of a lot of backstory to why he did this. Basically, it, it comes to this: he has this, he, he ends up getting this belief very strongly that superheroes, super-powered people are what he calls it evolutionary cancer is what he looks at it as. He mm. sees them, they are actually dragging everybody else down. Uh, for, uh, one example of this that I keep hitting in my head, there was an interview, not an interview, sorry, a review of one of the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. It may have been number one or two, I do not remember, uh, where in this, this person complained that there was a scene in this show where there's a fire in a house or something like that, and there's all these firemen outside, and then Spider-Man shows up, and the firemen are all like, ooh, yay, Spider-Man's here, and he'll save these people. And this person, I think this, I cannot remember exactly, this is a while back, obviously, I think this came out sometime around close to after 9-11, and I think, and their point was, you know, in the real world, we've just, you know, had this incident to remind us about the heroism of firefighters, and now in this superhero movie, it's like they're just standing around milling about waiting for the superhero to come and save the day. Mm. And I kind of want to explore that idea where these incidents like this would be happening. Uh, mm-hmm. Where mm-hmm. So that would be part of it, where Isaac starts seeing like he's afraid of of this of people becoming sort of this underclass, relying upon superheroes. And mm-hmm. then the other mm-hmm. thing is, he's I, I, in the backstory, there would have been Times when, for example, Senator Fitch manipulating that fact, you know, um, rely especially with the superpowers, people becoming an official government force of uh, the hero team, and sort of being like, you know, here is your here is your Superman, here is your Superman 
you know, to be sort of your, your ideal and to, you know, take care of you and take care of us. And that those kind of elements yeah. Yeah, drive him to feel that. Okay, okay. Um, let's let's continue around the table just a little bit. Tobias, hold those thoughts for just a second. Sure. Um, I want to get Brian's take on the story and any questions he's. Oh, got. good lord. Okay. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. So bear with me for a second because I just wrote a novel. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> so here's here's my take on the whole thing uh, with with Isaac and and um, the you know at the end the reason that he has to sacrifice himself and everything like that. So. This is one of those things that, you know, put on your boots because it may just be total bullshit. If Isaac was the one originally who, you know, destroys a bunch of of the supers, then perhaps through his technology, he created a suppressor that would suppress the manifestation of super abilities and was contracted with Senator Fitch, who then had the key to unlock that that suppression on certain people that were loyal to him or that he brought in as, you know, that, that, that he, he can control in some way, not necessarily in a super way, but that he, you know, they're loyal to him. They'll do his, his bidding. Um, and in order for Isaac to keep from being double crossed by Fitch, he ties the suppression technology to his own life source so that if he dies, then the suppression fails and the manifestation takes place on a mass level so that Fitch will never double-cross him and kill him. And then when he wakes up at the beginning, his research and his technology has been destroyed, so the only way to release that suppression is if he dies. Hmm. I kind of like that. because be- Which leads to his sacrifice at the end. Right, right. Okay, that, that ties in nicely. We can make that work. Um, any other questions or anything? Brian, as far as you, you let off with a strong what if, and, and that we're, we're all going to wrap our heads around that. Um, right. But right. Uh, uh, any other questions or anything that you had for Jeff? No. <laughs> no, I got no questions. I just got done writing all of that. What that else was, do you want for Good point. Today? I know. I know. I'm so demanding. No, that was badass. That was awesome. I think there's leg. I think there's leg. I think we're going to see a lot of different perspectives here. Um, uh, for, for myself, Jeff, um, First of all, taking the superhero trope and turning it on its ear, I mean, really, in terms of all of the attention that superheroes and and the genre has gotten of late, uh, I think this is a genuinely unique perspective uh, uh, and gives a a lot of opportunity to explore uh, uh, what it is to be a hero, uh, uh, the notion of of sacrifice and heroism and those those very themes that you're talking about, the, the responsibility and the corruption. Um, and, and that's embodied so nicely in your two pro tags of Isaac and Jenny. Uh, uh, and I'm, I'm, I, I, let's see, holy crap. So, so, so much to start with. Um, I would like, to, I, I'm going to, I'm going to throw my own what if out here. Well, no, I'm not. I'm going to hold off on that. Um, I'm going to throw <laughs> up one thing that I, that occurred to me as you were talking and especially Tobias with your question about technology, um, is uh, uh, Isaac being the smartest man in the world uh, uh, part of the reason, maybe it is contemporary day, but you could play with some interesting alternate history stuff by having Isaac infusing the world with new tech. 
just because he is so brilliant. And the tech level of today is all because of Isaac's discoveries and inventions along the way, which made him uh, a hero to uh, so many people, uh, certainly the captains of industry and drawing Senator Fitch's attention, which Brian ties in with what you're talking about so nicely. Um I, you know, the more I think about that, Brian, the more I like the idea of Senator Fitch and Isaac having been allies in the past uh, right. and then having that revelation early in the book that Fitch is like, oh, no, I'm so done with you. Um, you're, you're, you're now the bad guy. You're now somebody I'm going to kill. Um, I think right. that's got. But he can't kill him. Right. Because of because of that. Like, well, we can play with that, so too. He's, he has to he has to disable him in some. Right. Way. Right. Well, I was thinking, you know, if we if there is suppression technology out there uh, that why not? And I don't know if this this is going to totally turn it into a non superhero story. Um, but wouldn't Senator Fitch embed Isaac and Jenny with the dampeners so that their powers would be useless? Right. And thus you have very normal people who used to be superheroes uh, uh, moving out in the world. I don't know. We're, we're, we're riffing kind of early. I think we're, we're still uh, exploring different options. Uh, I'm going to turn it back over to, to Tobias. Uh, Tobias. Um, well, I, I, I want to jump back first. Yeah. 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 I want to come back to Isaac care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I really, uh, I think that the key to a story like this is uh, we can throw out lots of ideas about the, the plot and technology and, and things like that. And, and, and I'm still stuck on and would like to encourage Jeff you to uh, take a look at why Isaac thinks we're an evolutionary cancer. In other words, your little story that you told me of what germinated this book is, the, I think, the core seed does. It's a very engaging image you just gave me that is has a lot of character embedded in it, which is that here we are looking at a 9-11 event and we are devaluing the heroism of lots and lots of non-superheroes, basically trying to do almost superhero-type things, like rush into a burning building and save lives, and having someone just burst in and easily grab people out of the fire because they have these superhero talents, uh, devalues the common man's uh, struggle, so to speak. And... I want to know why, and I think, I don't know if you're going to be able to answer that tonight, but I think, you know, we solving why Isaac has a visceral link to that and why that image ties into his entire viewpoint of the world is actually a very core key to unlocking the story. I mean, immediately I think you, you can take uh, images out of what you just described to us, which is that, you know, if... Isaac has, for example, a family member or people who are, you know, fire folk or who are fighting the good fight who have had their own heroism sucked away by the emergence of people's superpowers, including himself. Um, you immediately begin to build resonance in the story naturally without having to uh, work so hard at it in terms of plot or technology. Um, if you are building that up, I think you're in. You're, you would be putting yourself in, in a good place because it uh, item. A lot of the core awesomeness of the superhero tale is in that relationship between superhero and non-superhero. You know those really interesting moments between Superman and parents, or Superman and Lois Lane. Um, you know interesting moments between Spider-Man and his family. Uh, some of those moments are incredibly evocative. So, you know, you have uh, abilities to put Isaac 
within a non-superhero family that he grows out of or that he causes harm to or that he recognizes has being is being harmed by the fact that everyone is uh, becoming superheroes or that the superheroes have taken away things from them their sort of nobility that he's trying to get back why is he trying to get that back what is like what is driving him to take that on as his life's ambition really interests me and i'd love to see some ideas about that yeah yeah i agree i agree because he yeah. really is the pivotal character here he's um, everything yeah this is the seed from which the novel sprouts right Right, right. So it could be uh, a firefighter, as you say, Tobias, or or a or a paramedic, or or even a soldier, or someone who who made the ultimate sacrifice. Sure. Uh, and and you know, superheroes could have gotten become very arrogant, uh, and and mm-hmm. uh, looked down. You know, maybe Adam, this this the the boyfriend of Jenny, uh, while you know, great leader and and a wonderful hero, really started looking down at the humans as chattel not chattel but but children to be cared yeah. for and innocence that we must protect from from whatever you know and i'm and i'm wondering going back to the inciting incident uh uh if if you know maybe maybe isaac isn't super um maybe right. he really right. is just freaking smart and one of his first experiments as a teenager uh unleashed Something, whether it's viral or or or, or a, a time space rift or whatever, but the, the that inciting incident was caused by Isaac, which I think is kind of cool because then you get this: I started it, I tried to kill it, now I'm starting it again. But it being that's that's just a nice little arc. But have there be side effects? Have there be a danger that has forced humanity to rely very heavily on the heroes uh, to 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 maintain life? You know. I'm going to throw out demons, but that's stupid. <laughs> um, but 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 some some sort of uh, maybe a madness that overcomes certain people that have become activated or or awakened. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of uh, oh God, what was it? Shadow Run uh, uh, back in the day with the Great Awakening, and suddenly, bam! There's all of this stuff uh, which could you know then compress your backstory a little bit. Uh, uh, but also weigh Isaac with a sense of responsibility because he caused the heroes in the first place. I like those two ideas come together. One thing I've been thinking about, and you know, I hadn't set yet because I hadn't set this, uh, the inciting event, was did this affect them, say, when their parent, mothers were pregnant? Did this affect them as young children? Did this come to them when they were adults, teenagers? If it comes to them sort of late teens or adulthood, the superpower. Uh, that does leave room, for example, in some of the stuff Tobias is talking about, where uh, not only his own struggles to sort of succeed in life, but friends, family. You know, uh, for example, if, if technology is coming out of him a lot, a lot of the new advanced tech in the world, there could be people he loved or cared about who, you know, were also scientists like him or sort of, you know, getting washed away in this kind of thing. Um, you know, they're they're falling behind now. Like, so he... Sure. If he had the experience of being normal, being a normal person trying to make in the world and struggling and, you know, trying to live a good life, and then seeing now these other people who he did care about, uh, who are sort of that, that's being taken away from them by the existence of superheroes. I also definitely want to, uh, I was thinking if I start the story where I originally suggested, a lot of this is, of course, backstory, but I was thinking of sort of flashing back to scenes like, 
I, I one that came up to me right there when Tobias talked about, or I think it was Tobias or Dave, someone talked about, for example, a fallen soldier. If you had a, an event where something happened, a shootout with villains, and people, you know, people were wounded or died, and then you've got all this, the superhero has come and saved the day, you know, the media and 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 the people are all surrounded. Oh, the hero, and here's this fallen cop or wounded cop, sort of forgotten. Sure, uh, right, right. A buildup of situations like that. Yeah, sort of and that would happen all the time. Uh, yeah, uh, I, you know, villains, villains fighting superheroes and the collateral damage. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of that that's kind of brushed under the under the hood. Uh, uh, and focusing on those smaller stories, I think, would be very cool. It yeah. has always struck me as fairly amazing that there doesn't seem to be any collateral damage when you're looking at superhero movies and, and uh, graphic novels and comics. You know, sure. I always still remember being really impressed when I saw one of the Quentin Tarantino movies. I think it's Pulp Fiction, where they have that gunfight uh, in, in the car, and that that woman who's just crossing the sidewalk nearby gets hit and goes down. Yeah. And it was just one of those moments where I was like, you know what, that's right, that's what would happen in a gunfight, right? <laughs> like, you yeah. know, the, these gunfights where people run through a crowded area and just randomly keep shooting each other and no one else gets hurt, or there's a, there's a you know, chase through the middle, you know, with two cars through a crowded area. Someone goes up on the sidewalk and, you know, the pedestrians always magically jump aside at the last second. It's like, no, it would be like Grand Theft Auto. You know, um, yeah, this is, the, I think that's interesting because you'd be going in places where people don't normally go. Well, and I think yeah. Isaac, sorry, I was just going to say, Isaac as sort of a, a support, you know, the command and control, the support kind of superhero. He's the guy who helps make everyone else better. He's not necessarily the guy running in and slugging the criminal across the jaw. He would sort of be there on that sideline in all these after events, seeing what maybe the other heroes don't see. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I can, and, and you know, <clears throat> that's interesting to, uh, yeah. to expand on that. You know, the the emotional collateral damage. Never mind the the the, the physical wounds and the damage that's done, uh, uh, but focusing in on that emotional uh, uh, crisis. You know, I'm wondering, Jeff, if you would consider, and I don't, I don't know if this will work, but having setting up that opening scene as a prologue. Uh, maybe even setting it up, you know, with Isaac and Jenny, uh, uh, the bomb. I know you have him waking up on the table. Maybe pushing it back a little bit and having the prologue be the detonation. Definitely, definitely. And then pick it up with, um, you mentioned this unknown uh, underground leader uh, that's playing a peripheral role. If we jump ahead six months and maybe Isaac and Jenny have both tried to blend in, just disappear. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, and uh, get on with their own lives and not be super. You know, going back to the whole uh, was it The Incredibles? You know, Jenny being right. very low key and not drawing attention to herself. Isaac res- finally can get back to living a life uh, 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 of humanity and having this leader approach Isaac, finding out who he is, and saying, "We have problems. Uh, I've discovered this. I need your help." And then having tying him, this young leader. Uh, much more tightly into the storyline, and then Isaac can say, "Yeah, and we need Jenny the Comet to do this, and she's not; she's going to be a hard sell." Blah blah blah. What do you think about that? Well, I could see him, you know, maybe being out on the, a bum on the street kind of thing, you know, uh, you know, trying to figure out what to do, living with this horror. I mean, I couldn't see him trying to blend back into humanity, just going on with his life. Uh, but uh, otherwise, you'd put that little tweak where he's sort of like this broken man out there, you know. Sure, uh, and it works, I think. 
or trying to or trying to redeem himself in small ways. Exactly. That's why eventually I saw the ending as him killing himself. Because I mean, he's a he's a murderer. He's this mass murderer, and he's either going to have to have punishment for that, or he's going to have to. And in some ways, it is kind of selfish where he's going to take you know the easy way out. He's going yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. He's going to get his redemption by turning himself into a hero again in his own mind. Brian, what do you think, sir? Um, well, I kind of think that he, he to, to make the ending a little more impactful, um, that he needs to have some opportunities early on to show some of that redemptive quality that he fails at. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. You know, Tobias, what do you think? I'd say it's going to be a hard sell to write a novel uh, with the main character who uh, ends up committing suicide. Um, you know, I, I uh, are you going to be including uh, what is her name again, Jenny's uh, point of view as uh, a tight point of view, or is she just a character and it's only told from Isaac's point of view? Uh, I've been it's something I've been thinking about. My original plan was to tell this from Isaac's point of view. I saw this mm-hmm. as being Isaac's story. Uh, I mean, now, and I feel sort of silly thinking so far ahead, but I could see a very interesting story following this where Jenny has to deal, it would be Jenny's story, dealing with the world that Isaac creates when he unleashes superpowers on everybody. Yeah, you know, uh, I, ha- I hate to try and talk you out of an idea that you already set on, but I, I think uh, I think Jenny's uh, maybe even a stronger point of view character because... A, you're asking readers to invest in someone who's going to eventually off themselves, which is a bit tough. And B, he is a, a dynamo. There's also the problem of he's the smartest person in the world. And that gives us the Sherlock Holmes problem. That, uh, that's actually a very big concern I've had, which is why I wanted it to... He might be considered the smartest person in the world, and maybe from IQ and capability he is, but I definitely felt I needed to show... For example, the very fact that he doesn't successfully kill him and Jenny, you know, I need to show him as being flawed in that, and that's why I also wanted to find, I was thinking I'm going to have to show, like, he might be smart and not necessarily wise. Okay. There's definitely well, a I fear mean, I had. And all of that's granted, and, and I, I do think this is why uh, Jenny pops out as a possible easier uh, and more dynamic main character in some ways, because the challenge you're going to have is if you are in the point of view of the smartest person in the world, you're going to have to work very hard not to be off-putting to the reader God, yes. who's going to be in that, in that place constantly. It's one right. thing, you know, one, one of the reasons why so many writers choose the sidekick as the point of view character is to both allow us to engage with, I mean, Sherlock Holmes is very obviously all about Sherlock Holmes. It's not about Watson's life. He's he's ancillary, but we experience Sherlock Holmes through his point of view, so that the author does not have to sort of constantly insult the reader, berate the reader, and demonstrate to the reader why the reader is an idiot compared to his great 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 character. <laughs> um, those people are fun to read about, but one step removed. So you know, like one thing that immediately you know uh, jumps out at me is that you know okay. Jenny is going to be a very sympathetic character to be in the head of because imagine waking up on a table after 
you know, Isaac has done something really stupid and dragged her into it, and she's dealing with the fallout almost immediately of it. Um, it immediately gives you the ability to interact with and and engage with why Isaac is doing the things he's doing because she's going to be asking like dude why are you doing this and why is this happening and what's going on and she's going to be able to be very interrogate uh, uh, interrogative in a ways that lets the reader discover what Isaac is all about as he answers or chooses not to answer uh, because when he chooses not to answer you as the reader can kind of as the writer, sorry, you as the writer can kind of spin things out as long as you need to. So because he knows everything, it's one of those problems where if he's the main character and he knows everything, there's a lot of points where you're going to have to tap dance as a writer to not reveal things to the readers that if you were in Jenny's point of view, you could hold off on for as long as you want. Uh, for, and the, the sort of pathos of him choosing suicide of having some nobility, all of that then gets transmitted through her by us watching him do these acts and kind of redeem himself. If he redeems himself and kills himself and that's the end of the book, without a point of view that's outside of him, it's kind of a very harsh ending. Mm, definitely. Yeah. I hadn't considered no, I, that, but you're right. It's, it's, it would be very difficult. It, it is. It's Sherlock Holmes syndrome. And that's why yeah. you have Watson to to provide a sympathetic window into that world rather than thrusting you in the middle of it. That's right. One time he ever made a Sherlock Holmes story written from Sherlock Holmes' point of view, it kind of sucked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There you go. Now, I assume this was question this was going to come up because it's definitely another question that I've been considering. You know, what is it the right perspective to go with? My biggest fear with going with Jenny right now, and I'd love to hear people's ideas on this, is just I worry about, as I sort of envision the story, Plot-wise, I guess, story-wise, what's going on. I worry about agency with Jenny being the main point of view character for most of the book because a lot of it is going to be driven between the battle between Isaac and Senator Fitch. She's going to have a lot of agency. She's fighting the person that she's chosen to ally with, and she's fighting Senator Fitch as well. It adds, I think, extra complexity and even more interesting agency because she is going to be working within this uh, triangle. Right, um, yeah. and you have options because you can do things like have her start to lean towards even working for Senator Fitch and betrayal, or not do it, but consider it if Isaac is going too far. Um, she has tremendous amounts of agency because she's she's holding Isaac's secrets. She's figuring Isaac out for us as readers, and she's unlocking him which means that she can use this information and, and want to use this information and she can subvert his plans in certain ways and she can she can choose to try and figure out how to direct him i think that that will i, I you know I, I i think that that will be plenty of agency i'm i i just was wondering i just had a thought um uh you were talking jeff about about isaac being broken um what if he's really broken what if he's almost insane uh, 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 I, I picture I picture a, a tenement room uh, with with scribblings all over the walls and stacks of paper and 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 clippings nailed to the wall and strings drawn from one point to another. What if Isaac is feeding or, or actually started the underground that's fighting against Senator Fitch? And the you know so our initial lead in is this underground leader uh, uh, seeking out Jenny the Jenny. Uh, to to aid in the the resistance against Senator Fitch, and they have some peripheral information, so we can get some understanding 
uh, uh, Jenny is the fallen hero, the hero who has fallen into despair. Uh, everyone she loved is dead. The ideals that she held have been since the since the death of all the heroes. You know, of course, there's this massive uh, 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 backlash of propaganda about the the invalidity of heroes as leaders as as protectors uh and she's coming to grips with that all through this time since that big explosion uh, uh and now this leader comes forward and gives her a purpose and she gets drawn up in it and that's awesome and now yes i can be a hero again only it turns out isaac is the impetus and this the heart underneath it what a what a great moment when that reveal happens i don't i don't know what do you think uh, so maybe she, so at the beginning of the story, she wouldn't necessarily know that Isaac is still out there and stuff. Yeah, exactly. She thinks right, he's dead. Right. Uh, everybody thinks he's dead. Uh, and they think she's dead, too. Uh, so you get that reveal. And you can and you can build up all kinds of awesome backstory uh, with Jenny, you know, harboring a resentment against Isaac. And, and introduce and tease the reader into, into this guy. And then, like, maybe end of Act 1... Uh, uh, actually exposing him to the guy they've heard so much about in all of the chapters. That's, whoa! And now suddenly you've got things cranked up a little bit, and how are they going to resolve this uh, and fight against the senator? Uh, you know, I really think using Jenny as a fulcrum like that makes for a, a more interesting story. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. As a solo Jenny perspective or as the alternating perspective? Because the, the one thing I wonder about, without Isaac's perspective, sort of the tight perspective, um, then you miss, that I worry about missing chances for humanizing him as seeing, like, why did he do what he did, you know what I mean? Not just well, ultimately, as, as we said at the very beginning, uh, you're going to write the novel that you want to write. Absolutely. And let us talk you out of it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I still push back against that because I think that's stuff that will be revealed as Jenny goes out to find stuff out. And so I think that you... You know, as she puts the pieces together, she can figure these things out, and it gives her something to do as you reveal these things about Isaac to the reader that, you know, you could more easily just pop into his point of view and hand it to the reader. But I think this gives the character of Jenny things to struggle to find, things to struggle to understand, and a conflict to, to draw the picture properly. And that, that, process of discovery is something that you will bring the readers through with Jenny and that process of discovery as the pieces slowly get laid out over time until you finally get to the end and you do have a complete picture of Isaac is the process of being pulled through the novel. Yeah. I like I like the film like that because one of the things I wanted to sort of do with this was to have, I was hoping readers not struggle with the book as well, I don't want to read this, but struggle with the question of, you know, is Isaac a hero? Is this right? Is this wrong? You know, what is the responsibility here? So I guess putting it from Jenny's perspective where she has to come up with these answers, um, I guess that makes more sense, bringing the reader through through those eyes and then they can share that together. Yeah. And yeah. It, lets you, yeah. it lets you flip. Because if we, if we start out in his, or if you have any points in his POV, he thinks he's a hero and he knows all the reasons and can lay them out quickly. So you sort of, Predispose, predispose your readers to knowing he's the hero. But if you're bringing it through Jenny throughout this whole thing, you can do things as a writer where you say, here's something really horrible he did. And the readers are just like, oh, Isaac's an asshole. I don't like him. You know, but we're plotting through with Jenny and she's cool. So, you know, we're going through all these travails with her and that's awesome. And then she finds out something where it's like, well, 
here's some history that's tragic about why he's doing some of the stuff he does because Jenny talks to a family member of his, you know, and then you're like, oh, maybe he's not a complete asshole. He's still kind of, you know, somewhat murderous, but like, okay, now I kind of understand why. And then like he does something else that's horrible and it's like, oh, no, wait, he's a total asshole. And then you go find something else out where it's kind of like, wow, this is almost redemptive. And he's done this thing that's really cool, or he saves Jenny's life, right? And then you're just like, wow, right? This is totally different, you know? And you can kind of just keep tacking as you move to let people constantly consider pros and cons and pros and cons and pros and cons without force-feeding them. Yeah, and right. and basically yeah. The, the, the reader's revelations and opinions of Isaac are, are mirrored through Jenny's experiences through them, uh, uh, and that makes her... Uh, a much more sympathetic character because, you know, yes, Isaac committed horrors, but he committed horrors on Jenny's friends, on Jenny's life, and and ooh, yeah, there you're getting at something there. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. So so now you know the whole notion of of great power and responsibility and that theme of sacrifice. You know, Jenny does seem to be a a, a strong vehicle, not necessarily to uh, embody that but to discover it and, and, mm-hmm. and showcase it for the listeners so that we can see it both in terms of Isaac and his counterpart, Senator Fitch, and having the two of them played side by side in parallel with Jenny as the fulcrum. Uh, uh, actually, that, that's got some nice tension uh, for, for a writer and, and good, good mojo for a reader. Brian, we, you've been very quiet, and, and that's very <laughs> uncharacteristic of you. Um, we're, we're running out of time, but I know you've got opinions on Senator Fitch. Can we explore him for just a little bit? Oh, you know, I wasn't even, I wasn't even focusing on him. Really? Like early, okay. on, I thought, early on, I thought, okay, he's, you know, I, I'm not really feeling him just because it's very typical political figure for me you know politics is bad exactly exactly i was feeling yeah so he's not really super fleshed out but um there was one point that i really want to to just ask the question of jeff and that's this sacrifice at the end because the word suicide has been thrown around and i think there's a very huge and very important difference between suicide and sacrifice like Mm -hmm. um you know you take uh, obi-wan kenobi did not commit suicide he's he allowed himself to be sacrificed for the greater good um we can talk about that later but (laughs) but okay i see what you're saying you know what i mean yeah so i I just so so the question to jeff was what 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 were you intending between those two uh well i guess honestly i hadn't really thought about that distinction but when you bring it up like that there that is an important distinction uh and i guess the answer is i'm not sure uh i mean because with I mean, I could actually see it going well, either way. Don't answer that question. Don't answer that question. And leave, <laughs> no, seriously, leave that open to the audience's interpretation. Don't put a strong. You know, maybe, maybe we don't know. Did I? You know, in the end, Isaac's act uh, uh, does something. In this case, it reawakens the supers. Is that a good thing? Or a bad thing, and did he do it because he was? It was the only way to save the day, or because he was just so full of self-loathing that he wanted to commit suicide, and this was an accident. And to put my that, Jenny POV preference, uh, if you stay in Jenny's POV, you can really kind of uh, leave a yeah. lot of nuance on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, but you as the writer have to know. Well, yes. Yeah. 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 And that. And honestly, I don't know if I know that yet. You won't. <laughs> you won't until you write the scene. Honestly, I can't. Right. I yeah. can't see. I can see a lot of discovery writing and exploration before you get to that point. Knowing you're getting there, that's where you're going toward. Like Tobias said, having your ending in mind. That's brilliant. But the nuance and the and the the stage and the environment of that ending. That's that's going to be up in the air until you know page three sixteen. Right. I mean, it could go either way, but I, the thing I worry about, for example, being a sacrifice is, I mean, I never want to lose sight of the fact that whether he did it because he thought it was right or not, he did terrible things. You know, I don't want it to, that to be whitewashed. I want that to be something that has to be dealt with, that this is a person who has murdered people, uh, and that that can't just be a, but he's a hero. You know, it has to be a serious issue. And maybe you can't, me. maybe you can't and, be redeemed. And if it's yeah. Jenny's friends and Jenny's POV, you can really drive that home. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so I worry about that with the sacrifice. I, just, I, I, I can't see at the end, no matter what happens, I can't see at the end of this and people like, well, he was a good guy. No. You know, I mean, he no. could have no, been no. a guy who wanted to be good, who tried to be good, but I mean, it can never be forgotten that, you yeah. know, he, he, was, he was a bad guy who did the right thing at the end. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, if we're going to continue with the Star Wars references, he's kind of a Vader. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Oh, there exactly. you go. Yeah. yeah. Right. And 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 the 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 vile nature of Senator Fitch uh holding up a dark mirror to him finally seeing the 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 end of his control issues. You know, Isaac ha- is a control freak, clearly. Uh uh and so is Senator Fitch. So they're they're perfectly matched in that respect. So Gentlemen, I'm looking at the clock and I'm going, wow, we're, yep. we're, we're, we're definitely hitting the line here. So what, what I'd like <laughs> to do is, is go once more around the table just one time uh, and have each of us give some final thoughts to Jeff, uh, uh, any suggestions or, or insights that we didn't get to, uh, uh, and, and, and fill Jeff's pocket with literary gold so he can go off and write this bad boy. Uh, Tobias, we'll, we'll start off with you, sir. Final thoughts? Uh, focus on the, the uniqueness of, uh, you know, why he, you know, why Isaac and, and why Jenny's, uh, obsessions are with human heroes not getting their due credit and how that, how, why that affects them. Um, and also I, I really encourage the, the whole idea of, of collateral damage in the superhero fights is really interesting to me. I think you can get a lot of mileage out of that because it's not something that I've seen a lot of exploration of. And so the human cost of superhuman battles really jumps out at me as being something I'd love to see explored and I think is unique and would get, you know, would get you a, uh, an interesting direction. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Don't, don't forget those threads. Yeah. Brian, what about you, sir? Um, I think that, that you have an, uh, kind of a unique opportunity to, to play around a little bit with the idea that Jenny can almost be a positive foil for Isaac. Um, her positivity really emphasizing the, the darker sides of him, while Senator Fitch could be the, the darker foil, um, and have him kind of stuck in the middle. I just think that might be kind of a cool thing to play with a little bit. Yeah. But uh, beyond that, I think there, there's just so much here. And, and you know, uh, even Tobias just kind of rocked it out. And so it was so fun to just sit and listen to what they were saying. And yeah. all of that coming from, from your pitch, I, I have no doubt that you're going to turn this into some, some absolute awesomeness. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and I agree, Jeff, I think, I think you've carved, uh, uh, an, an opportunity here with, with turning against some of the standard tropes, uh, of a superhero story, that being there aren't any, except for these two, at least, uh, uh overtly, uh, and, and being able to explore the aftermath, uh, of, of that cultural experience, uh, on a very intimate and personal level, and focusing on those smaller stories, I, I really like the idea of of having the the explosion that that quote unquote kills Jenny and Isaac be a prologue, and then jump in six months later or eight months later, uh, uh, and letting the dust settle and and rise up and and use that as a an ability to start small again, uh, and then gradually build and evolve that over time. Um, I, I was going to say, just in terms of Senator Fitch, um, I'm thinking maybe uh, uh, the United States is too small, uh, uh, having, having a global uh, circumstance, because the superhero phenomena was, was certainly a global event. Um, whatever it was, uh, uh, God, we really didn't address that. I know, however, right, that our right. listeners will. Uh, uh, so, so whatever that inciting incident is, when this goes up, I know they'll jump in on that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I just, the opportunities that you presented to, to not go down the beaten path and explore those dark shadowy recesses of, uh, uh, of power, of duty and sacrifice. You got good stuff going here, Jeff. This is awesome. Now I, I gotta say, dude, thank you so much. Jeff, for for bringing this story out, and and that that's never easy for anybody, and it created a very cool conversation. We're very grateful. Thank you, man. Oh, thanks. I was nervous, but you know what? This is a lot of fun. <laughs> a lot of great stuff. That's right. Great sparkly bits. Now, here's the deal: when you write this and put this out there in the world, whether it's audiobooks at podiobooks.com or or an ebook or or a big six contract, however it goes, please, Jeff, you come back, you let us know, because at that point we will hold the sacred knighting ceremony and we will make you a knight of the round table. That's the deal, man. Good. Well, it's going to happen and I look forward to it. Outstanding. We will look <laughs> Excellent. forward. Excellent. Because then we get to read the story, guys, and that's, that's, that's right. really kind of the awesomeness of that whole thing. So, um, Tobias... Sir, thank you so much. This has been yes. uh, a delight and, and a wonderful insight. And it's happened so many times with these. And Brian, you'd think you and I would learn. Um, uh, you, you kept bringing us back to those core stories and those core components uh, uh, that, that really will make this story a, a strong tale experience. Uh, and we're grateful that you, you came in and played in our sandbox for a while. Thank you, sir. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Most definitely. So, uh, Brian, yeah. closing thoughts as we wrap this up? I, I, I got to say, the whole kind of anti-hero thing is is really resonating with me lately. Yeah. And so this is one of those things where you can really dig into that kind of a character. And I just think that that is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And, and yeah. you know, in, in looking back just over the last hour or so, um, uh, this, this probably wasn't a, a conventional roundtable experience no but it it really was i think because jeff came in with a story that 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 had superhero on it and and that's badass that's awesome uh uh but he knew and we all found that there's more to it than that and and sometimes teasing and and digging deeply into those those fundamental components is is all a writer needs to really kick it kick a story into overdrive 
Yeah. So, yeah. so good stuff all around. Well, Very cool. And friends, as long as we're we're slinging gratitude around like like uh, honey and syrup at an IHOP. Uh, I don't know where that came from, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm hungry for breakfast, maybe. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But uh, thank you, as always, for, for hitting the play button. Uh, we always appreciate you joining us uh, and deriving what literary gold you could from our experiences. Uh, if, you're, if you're feeling the vibe and you're, you're, you're feeling good about it, feel free to spread the word. Uh, give us a review at iTunes, as so many of you have. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, and do keep in mind that when this post goes up, there is a comment section. Uh, uh, feel free to weigh in. So many of you have, and it really does continue the discussion. Uh, uh, and you can maybe fill in some of the gaps that we didn't get to on this one. Yes. Uh, yes. Which I will look forward to greatly. Um, you can find us all over the world uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtable podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter at writers podcast. Uh, uh, and you can always drop us a line at the table at roundtablepodcast.com. Now, we're sitting here and we're, we're all basking in the afterglow. Uh, but the wonderful thing is we're going to have a cigarette, a cup of coffee, and in just a couple of days, we're doing it all over again. Uh, oh, boy. Exactly, exactly. We're going to have more awesome guest hosts, uh, uh, more courageous guest writers bringing their stories to the table, more roundtable awesomeness, more literary gold. Uh, but that's just that's still a couple of days away. Um, Brian, what do you think, man? I think in the meantime... Go write. Go write. Yes. Put on your 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 Get crypt- it done. Kryptonian writing garb and and yes. uh, uh, fire up your super powered pen and get some writing done. And while you're at it, friends, look for awesome stuff because you find what you're looking for always. Uh, we will see you in just a couple of days. Thanks again for joining us. You guys stay cool. Be frosty. Be awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye bye. This episode is copyright 2013 by the Roundtable Podcast and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means don't sell it, but you can share it all you like. And you can even use pieces of it in your own derivative work, as long as you attribute us as the source and release the work under the same licensing terms. Theme music composed and performed by the talented Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David Labroyer, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you'd like to be a guest writer or guest host, or learn more about the Roundtable Podcast, please visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com or visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast. Our Twitter tag is at writerspodcast, or you can send us an email at thetable.com at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.